Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to be in chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. And the title of today's sermon is A Courageous Heart. Okay, A Courageous Heart. And the big idea is this. Faith in God should propel us to enthusiastically face our challenges. Ooh, leave that up for a second. Faith in God should propel us to enthusiastically face our challenges. Now, what is courage? There's been so many definitions of courage. Um, but I'm just going to give you the one right out of the dictionary. It says this. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Anybody have any of those three ever? Danger, fear, or difficulty? If you've ever experienced any of those things, you need some courage. You need courage. Um, and we're going to talk about where that comes from. See, David, as a character, is a Messiah figure. Not the Messiah, but a Messiah figure. Which means he embodies some of the characteristics of the true Messiah. The second Adam. Okay? Romans 5.15 says, For if the many died by the trespasses of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? See, we broke this thing. We broke it. God gave us an amazing gift of this world, and we broke it. And so every, every, ever since then, we've had this, I don't know, draw, this pull um, from the very beginning towards a need for a Savior, a Messiah. Jesus is referred to as the son of David and also as the second Adam. So every Messiah figure that comes through the Scriptures the saviors that come through, they embody portions of what the true Messiah would be ultimately. Hebrews 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You're going to see a lot of, of similarities today, uh, and some of them are very glaring, and you're going to notice it, about David's battle with the giant. It's a parallel in many ways between Christ's battle with the enemy, okay? See, man, man, woman, humanity was made to protect what God gave. When the enemy came to the garden, Adam didn't show up. We have all this information about toxic masculinity today. And I'm going to say that there are some Examples of that. And many of many people have, have had a boss or a husband or, or a father or something that has embodied that toxic masculinity. But let me, let me just turn the page just a little bit because I think something that's even more destructive than toxic masculinity is passive masculinity. We need, guys, I'm talking to you just for a second and we'll get back to the, all of everybody. But guys, we need you to show up. We need you to show up. We need you to be there. We need you to stand up. 
I don't know how many women would be like, you know what? I'm just not attracted to not attracted to a guy who shows up. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a thing. If it is a thing, I, I don't know. But like, show up. You don't have to be like a bully, but show up. Be there. Let me just explain how Adam failed in this. Um, man was made to protect. The, when the enemy came, the garden. Adam didn't show up. Uh, Genesis chapter three, verse one says. Now the serpent was the most cunning of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, all right, just stop. Guys, if you see a talking snake having a conversation with your girl, step on it. Just straight up. Right there is where the moment he failed, right? Like, if you see a talking, or you see your wife talking to a snake, you might want to worry about her too. But the idea is, you know, right down the bat, he just like, well, no fucking snake, that's normal. Anyway, um, and he, the, uh, uh, he said that he said this. He said to the woman, "Did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden?" The woman said to the serpent, "We may eat the fruit from the tree of, the, of all the garden, but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat or touch it, or you will die." Now you may be thinking, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe let's cut Adam some slack. Maybe it really is. The woman's fault. I'm joking. Relax. Everybody just take a, everybody take a chill pill. No, I mean maybe we maybe we have this idea that like the serpent and, and Eve were just hanging out over here, and Adam was you know hiking or something. Well, maybe. We'll and the serpent says in verse four, "No, you won't certainly die." The serpent said to the woman, "In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." The woman saw that the tree was good for food. And delightful to uh, to look at, and that is, uh, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Where is Adam? She also gave it some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. He was there. He was right there, and he didn't show up. Passive. He was made to protect what God had given, and he failed. Okay, God has when when God made made the earth, he, he gave us he gave us us. He gave us the, the, he gave the earth humans, and he said, "I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to do something. I'm giving you this gift. You both need to protect it. Let's not just let." Eve off the hook either. You both need to protect it. And they did. And we have the tendency ever since. You're going to see this played out in this story. See, Adam does nothing. He's right there, and he does nothing to protect what he is uh, charged to take care of. He doesn't show up for his wife. He doesn't show up for himself, and he doesn't show up for God. He, for some reason, lacks the intestinal fortitude to courageously engage the enemy. The serpent in the garden was the first representation of Antichrist, quote-unquote, the Antichrist. Okay? He came against the first man. The spirit of Antichrist shows up throughout Scripture and continually mocks God, deceives God's children, and pollutes God's creation, and drives a wedge between man and God. It's all 
over Scripture, the spirit of Antichrist. It embodies everybody from Pharaoh to the Canaanite kings to Jezebel to Pilate and the Pharisees. I mean, everybody. I mean, this is this, co- this, this, this cosmic battle between Antichrist and God. Time and time again, Scripture highlights the man who stands against the spirit of Antichrist. In the story of David and Goliath, we have an archetypical example of universal strength. Okay, this is, and it's so obvious. I mean, this is a, this is like a home run, softball pitch, just boom. I mean, it's so obvious what this is, that it's God versus uh, the enemy, the, the uh, Messiah figure versus Antichrist. So, 1 Samuel 17. Let's read it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually gonna pull up a chair because we are reading a lot. So open your Bibles. And we're going to read the story. I think one of the problems with the story of David, we've heard it so many times through flannel graphs and stories and movies and all this stuff that we just read it anymore. We kind of skip over or gloss over it because it has, we haven't read it in a while. We've kind of experienced it. So today I'd like to actually just read it. All right, so let's read it together. The Philistines, verse 1, the Philistines gathered their force for war at Soka and Judah and camped between Soka and Azekah in Ephes Dam Mim. I don't know how to say that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, number two. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill. Picture this in your mind, okay? Picture it. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Now, if you if you look at like the Veggie Tales version of this, it's like the valley. <laughs> but this was a large valley. Uh, I just had a friend who just visited Israel. And he was he stood on these mountains and it's a, it's a big it's a big valley two mountains on each side okay so big area swath for an army to fight um, then verse four a champion named Goliath from Gath came from the Philistine camp he was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze uh, scale armor that weighed one hundred and twenty five pounds. There was bronze armor on his shin, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's bead, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. This guy was like the equivalent of a modern-day tank. I mean, it's what he was. I mean, he was a he was a tank. All right. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle. For, uh, formation. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose one servant of Saul. Uh, choose one man and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul, okay, ready? Remember, talk about passive 
uncourageous way of handling things. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistines, they lost their courage. They lost their courage and were terrified. So what is courage again? Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, mm -hmm. persevere, or withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. They lost that. They lost that. Enter the Messiah figure. Verse 12. Now David was the son of uh, Ephrite from Bethlehem of Judea, named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Benadab, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and every evening, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with his ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Also take these ten portions of cheese to the field commanders. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. There has been no fight. None. Just camping and cowering. Okay, um, so verse 20. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Can you just picture this? Just, 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 just for a second. Every morning, they run out. Oh, I don't know what they did. I, I don't know. I don't know. They're making a big racket. Ooh, right. Big racket. And then Goliath lumbers out his tankness that he is. He's like, all right, who's going to fight me? Like, all right, we're out. <laughs> see you tomorrow. I mean, this is like a play at courage. You see this? It's like a, a it's like a false courage. It's ugh, because I'm telling you, unless courage comes from the right spot, it's all a show. It's all a show. And I believe that that is what we get when we talk about this thing called toxic masculinity. There's really an insecurity behind it, but they're putting on a show. But when you are ready to show up and your courage comes from the right place, you will be, you'll show up and you will be an asset to the Lord's team. You'll be an asset to your family, an asset to your coworkers, an asset, an asset to your, your, um, your neighborhood, to your church. You got to be careful. But this is what they did. They're coming out every morning. And then when Goliath walks down, they're like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. We'll, we'll think about it. All right? So anyway, um, so David left his supplies at the, in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. David's always running to the battle line. Remember this. Remember the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line 
and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. What happened with all the bluster? All the shield banging and all that stuff. What happened? Goliath walks out. You're like, all right, see ya. We're out. We're wetting ourselves on the way back to camp. You know, previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of this man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. I believe, and we can get into this in our uh, our rewind this week, I believe this is one of the motivating factors for David. Um, and it has, it has a tie to David's birth order and what happens here. He wants to be so valuable to his family because thus far he's not super valuable. And we'll see that in a second. David spoke to the man who was standing with him. What will be done to the man who kills the Philistine, removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's getting hot. The troops told uh, him about, the trooper told him about the offering, concluding, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listening as he spoke to these men, and he became angry with them. Why did you come down here, he asked. Why did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. His brother hates him. He really does. Now, there's a bunch of uh, discussion as to why Eliab hates him. Maybe it's because he got passed up and David got anointed. But Jewish tradition says it goes a little farther back than that. And we'll, we can talk about that another time. And then David, this is what, this is what David's response is. We, we, can, we can glean here that this is not the first time he's had a confrontation with Eliab. He goes, what have I done now? I love how scripture says, what have I done now? Like, this is happening a lot. Like, I didn't even, what did what I do now? Uh, what did I do now, protested David? It was just a question. Then he turned from, his, uh, from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. Can you see this battle, this whole thing playing out in your mind's eye? It's a conversation. It's really happening in real time. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he has been a warrior since he was a youth. So he's like, when the age that you are right now is when he started fighting and he's had a lot of experience and you have none. David disagrees with him. But David answered him, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, stuck it down, and rescued the lamb from his mouth. If it reared up against, uh, if it reared up against me, I would grab it by the fur, strike it down, and kill it. That's what I'm talking about. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living why is he going down? Because David's so strong. Because David's so skilled. 
No. You're going down because David is anointed with the Spirit of God. And David is showing up. Hear me? Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. It's almost like, good luck. Then Saul has his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on, on his armor. David strapped the sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in this, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistines. I want to take a pause right here. This is not even in my notes, but I feel that this needs to be said. So often, we, 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 we wait to attack problems until we're ready. When God wants us to use what we already have to defeat the foes he's put in front of us. See, David couldn't, like, he couldn't be Saul. That's not who he was. Gary, you can't be Darwin. Darwin, you can't be Gary. That's not who you are. God's made you for you, and he's given things to you that Gary doesn't have. Gary, you have things that Darwin does. We're all made very differently, and if we wait in our lives to be just like somebody else before we attack the battles that God has put in front of us, we will never go. He's given you the tools you need. Use them. And you're like, what? Well, these, these are just normal things. These are just mundane. This is a rock. It's a rock. There's nothing more, I don't know, plain than a rock. There's people, I'm telling you, this is a real true thing. There is people who take rocks and paint on them and try to sell them to people. That is the greatest swindle of all time. It's a rock. I don't care. You know, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. It's a rock. It's not worth anything. Nothing. It's the most humble of all things. But it was what David knew. It was what he was comfortable with. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't, you know, shiny. It wasn't bronze or iron. It was a rock. But David knew it. And God said, I'm going to use what you have to do my work. So don't wait. Don't think you've got to have the, the shiny things before you work, step out in faith. No, use what God has already given you, and it is, I guarantee, it is enough. Because with God, when you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he always takes the most common, mundane things and does his glories through them. Think about Moses. A simple, rutted staff parts the seas. Right? Okay. That was the soapbox. Now we're back. Hmm. Okay, where was I now? 41, thank you. The Philistines, I'm glad you're reading, that's great. The Philistines came closer and closer to David. With the shield, uh, the Philistine, this is a, so the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. Remember the tank? That's, that's, that's uh, Goliath. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog? You come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here. The Philist you gotta say it with a you gotta say it with a Philistine voice. Come here. 
That's how Philistines talk. You didn't know that? Come here. They're all very low. Even the women. Oh, come here. No. Uh, <laughs> come here. <laughs> the Philistines called to David, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. So he's like, you're not, it's not me. I, have, I, I personally have nothing against you, but you mess with the wrong God, and I am, I'm stepping up. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I will strike you down, remove your head, and give your corpse of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And those who assemble will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Now, this is where I want to kind of wrap up here. It says this. When the Philistines started for the, the attack to, uh, to attack David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love that verse. I love it. I watched a movie a while back about this, and it was so pathetic. They, 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 they always make Goliath look like, like he's the, you know, every, every, I think uh, Michael preached about this one time. The, the concept of the David and Goliath story. What, is that, what does that mean? It means David's pathetic and Goliath is awesome, but somehow, some way, David makes it happen. When actually it's the complete other way around. This guy's coming into a battle against God with a shield and a helmet. Right? It's the other way around. But here's the thing. The, the movie showed David like, Goliath starts running at him, and he like he, fall, he, he like walks back, and he trips and falls, and he slings a stone, and it misses, and he's got to. It, it was just like so pathetic. I'm like, where, it's not in the Bible. What happens in the Bible is this: Goliath takes a step forward, and David starts running at him. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's courage. Goliath is not a, 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 a you know an easy. Target. I mean, he's a big target, but he's not someone you would like normally run at. But David runs. I love that. I love it so much. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line and met the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. This is how I see this happening. Goliath takes a step forward, starts walking towards the guy with all of his stuff on the Got the shield bearer down there, like, right? And he just like, all of a sudden, boom, bam. He didn't even know what happened. He didn't even know what happened. He was just like, bam. And that battle's over that fast. He didn't even get his, it says he didn't even get his sword out of his sheath. He was just starting to walk towards David. He didn't even get his sword out. And it was over. The battle was over before it even started because the battle belongs to the Lord. Love it. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran, stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, put him, uh, pulled it from his 
sheath and use it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero had, was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting the battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley of the gates of Becker. Now here's where we want to stop here. What happens when one guy shows up? When one woman shows up, when somebody steps out in courage, what was before, the battle cry remained the same, but before it was just all bravado, it was just all fake. Now they are encouraged. They are given courage by one person stepping up, and they cry that battle cry, and they don't retreat this time. They go and they do the thing. Because one person can make a difference. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your lineage. You can make a difference in your workplace. You can make a difference in your neighborhood. You can make a difference with a stone and a sling. Whatever God has given you, he's given it to you for you to step up and be courageous. And you will lead what was once a limp, ridiculous army, all bravado and no fight, to a winning battle. That's a good story. That's a really good story. So, I still got a little time left. So that was just the reading part. Now here comes the preaching part. David shows a courageous heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? Here, here's a few things. There's three things I want to talk about today. He allows God, David allows God to define him. Okay? David allows God to define him. He doesn't allow, he does not allow his brothers to define him. He doesn't allow Saul to define him. He doesn't allow anybody. He allows God and God alone to define him. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, For now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes, I've reconciled you. I've made you my child. Now go do something with it. Show up. Go do something with it. I have defined who you are. You are my son. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was the motivation behind David's courage with the lion and the bear. Hmm? I think it was this. God has anointed me. God doesn't, told me I was going to be king. God doesn't lie. I can step out in courage because God's got my back. When you're filled with the spirit of God, you're not doing this alone. You could take bold steps, do hard things, and be victorious because it's his battle as, even more than it's your battle. You've got to let God define you. Who are you? Who's God say that you are? Don't worry about the naysayers. Don't worry about the critics. Just do what God has called you to do, and he's there right there with you. The battle belongs to him. David is living God's definition of who he is. It's clear that David's dad doesn't believe in him. He didn't send him to the battle. And he didn't even call him in for the anointing. He's like, yeah, not that guy. It's obvious that his brothers despise him. 
And it's apparent that Saul underestimates him. Yet David is living in a spiritually empowered life. He's living a spirit-empowered life. His courage is informed by the perspective of heaven. Think about that for a second. His courage is informed by the perspective of heaven. He believes what God has said about him above what others think about him. That's what we need to do as followers of Christ. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, I'm telling you, we have to, we have to let God define us. We need to believe what God says about us over what others think about us. Do not let them tear you down. Because I'm telling you right now, the enemy doesn't just reside in Goliath. He resides in the spirit of Antichrist and all the naysayers and all the critics. All right. Number two. He allows God to animate him. What does it mean to animate? Why did I use that word? Well, a couple definitions of animate. To give spirit or support to. Number two is to give life to. And the third one is, uh, this, uh, one I like the best is, to give vigor or zeal to. He let God animate. What got him ticked off was not his brother's it was somebody who defied God openly. That really bothered him. It animated him to action. Psalm 69.9. This is about the Messiah, and it's also about uh, David. Because the zeal for the household of God has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's taken this personal. When you... I'm telling you what, one of my Achilles heels in life, what really gets my temper going in life is when somebody messes with my wife. Just be, just be honest. When somebody goes after my wife, man, it just, my blood boils. Like, if you mess with her, you're messing with me. And, I, and sometimes I've not, it's not been a healthy thing. <laughs> but I'm just being honest. And this is how David takes it. You mess with my God, you're messing with me. And he can't understand. He cannot understand why everybody in Israel is just, what are, what are you guys doing? That's a heart for God. You see that? When, when, when the Bible says he's a man after God, that's a heart for God. If you mess with my God, you're going to have to go through me. I love that. But he lets God animate him. Um, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. 1 Samuel 17, 26 says, Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who do you think you are? You don't get to do that. That's my God. You don't get to do that. So let me ask you, what animates you? A courageous heart beats in sync with God's and sees the world in its broken state and desires to do something to heal it. Injustice will tick you off. Poverty saddens you. Abuse sparks righteous anger. Exploitation of women and children stir you to action. Stepping out in courage to defend. 
advocate for, support, protect, and fight. When the Spirit of God is in you, it animates how you see the broken world, and it makes you want to fight for it. The zeal for God, God's house, consumes me. That reference is used in the New Testament referring to Jesus' reaction about the money changers in the temple. So David uses it in the Psalms, and then because David is a Messiah type, when, when Jesus does it, it's used for him. There is such a thing as letting the things that God hate animate you. I think we need to do it more. I think we're too accepting of things that God hates. All right, let's keep going. And we are not fighting in our own strength. Lastly, he allows God to empower him. David was empowered by God, and he knew where his strength came from. He knew that you could, he could take a simple rock, put it in the hands of God, and beat the tank of a giant. He wasn't working his own strength. He used the power of God to promote the name of God. We talked about that a little bit last week, how Saul had used God's power to promote his own name, as David used God's power to promote God's name. He said, I come against you, not as David the shepherd boy. I come against you as a member of the armies of Israel, whose God you have defied. He used the power of God to promote the name of God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from this hand of this Philistine. He knew where his power came from. Verse 45 said, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of the army of God in the ranks of Israel, of you whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. I love that. It's just so confident. It borders on cocky. I kind of like it. He's like, you think you're something? I got something to tell you. You're nothing compared to my God. When the Philistines started toward the attack, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David saw the conflict for what it was and had the courage to run into the battle because he knew that God was on his side. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says this, Finally be strong, strengthened by the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Or we could put that in the, 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 the spirit of Antichrist. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, the struggle wasn't against swords and bronze and stones and slings. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, not of Saul. Because I believe at this moment in time, had Saul been the one to go into the battle, that armor would not have been able to save him. Put on the full armor of God so you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, take your stand. Show up. Step out in a heart. Courage. 
Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I love this. Simple. It's pretty simple. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about your mind's eye right now. Some of the struggles or the enemies, ah, the adversaries, I should say, probably, that are coming up against you. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's somebody at work who's just awful. They exist. <laughs> I'm just saying, they do. Okay, maybe it's a person at work that just, it's just an awful person. Maybe it's a, an illness. Maybe it's like depression or anxiety. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's passivity. What I want you to think about today is if God is for us, and we know he is, we sang about it this morning, who can be against us? You can step out in courage because you're not stepping out in and of your own strength and power. So what does David do? Recap. He allows God to define him. He allows God to animate him. And he allows God to empower him. Now let's make it personal. Let's, let's, let's turn the page to Monday morning right here, okay? Will you allow God to define you? Do you believe what God says about you or what the world says about you? It's an important question to answer. Do you believe what God says about you or what the world says about you? And here's, here's another a follow-up question. If you don't know what God says about you, go find it. It's all through the scriptures. And if you need help, because the Bible's big, it's big. How do I find those things? I'll show it to you. Come see me. I will show you what God thinks about you. And he thinks you're pretty special. Think about that analogy that I gave you this morning about my sweet little girl in the, playing Legos. Right? Will you got, allow God to animate you? What do you see around you that gets you your blood up? What gets your blood up? Be active. Passivity is as destructive, if not more destructive, than boldness. Be somebody's hero. Be somebody's hero. Oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You actually can. David was a hero for like a bunch of people. In fact, later on in Scripture, there's like Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. They, you know, was, he, he was a lot of people's hero. And he didn't even do it in and of himself. He did it through the power of God. You can be somebody's hero. If you're a dad today, be your kid's hero. Be your wife's hero. If you're a mom today, be your husband's hero. Be your kid's hero. Grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, we need to be here. Be there for people. There might be somebody in your, in your work. And you're like, you know, I just came here to work. I'm not here. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychiatrist. I just want to get my work done. I want to go home. Well, I guarantee if that's your attitude and you're a Christian, God's going to say, <laughs> well, what about that person over there? Didn't you notice? You're like, yeah, I noticed. Well, you probably should go talk to them. Nah, I don't want to do that. 
be that person's hero today. Give them a kind word. Encourage them. Be their hero. Let God animate you. Will you allow God to empower you? You don't have to be afraid of the battle because it's not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Joshua 1.9. Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? I love this verse. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But pastor, you said that we have to be careful about using Old Testament verses and applying them to me. Good job with your hermeneutics and your exegesis. Good job. Let's jump, jump to John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is a spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So back to Joshua. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's more so now than it ever was in the Old Testament. Do you see what I'm saying? He's not even with you. He's in you. So step out into that battle. So when the battle lines are drawn, have a courageous heart and run to the battle. Lord, I thank you so much for this story of this person who is continuously after your heart. The reason I love this character, Lord, is because he's just like me. Not, not because he's a king, or because he's a normal guy. He's got his flaws and his hang-ups and his problems and his failures. But with you, he does amazing things. And I want our church, I want my brothers and sisters to understand who you say they are and not be defined by who the world says they are. Lord, I want you to put in them a heart after you. Lord, to rejoice with things that you rejoice in and to hate things that you hate. And Lord, to allow you to empower us to be more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, help us to show up. Lord, help us not to be uh, overwhelmed by the spirit of passivity that has seemed to overwhelm our culture these days. God, I pray for great victory in the battle that is your battle. The one that's not against flesh and blood. Not against people, but against the spiritual wickedness, wickedness the dark things of this world. Lord, the battle is yours, and we know that you will win. So we will step out with hearts of courage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.